Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Invite Cody to come out. He's somewhere. So uh, Cody's going to come. We're going to do something a little different this morning than really we've ever done is um, over the last couple weeks, if you joined us online or you were here with us, um, we, we offered that, you know, you get to help craft the sermon a little bit this morning. And so you were able to text in questions or email questions, anything you want to ask Pastor Cody about life, leadership, what the Bible has to say about whatever. And so um, I just want to because I have the opportunity here. Just thank the Lord for Cody and his leadership in our church. You can join me in thanking the Lord, because um, I am. I'm very thankful of, of the leader he is, the friend he is in my life, but the leader he is for our church body and has been faithfully for so many years here. And so this is a neat time that we get to ask some questions and, and just have some conversation here. So what we've done, I, I obviously can't ask every question that came in. We had a bunch that came in and they were awesome. And so we try to combine some that were similar and just get through as many as we can here. And so it'll be a bit sporadic. Um, you know, we're going to start over here and then jump in right field, you know, with some stuff. So um, it'll just be how it goes, but I think it'll be fun and, and awesome. And so we'll start with just a random one here is, uh, you know, the one that came in uh, was about translations of the Bible and different versions of the Bible. And so Cody teaches from a certain translation every week, but it's asking that question, why are there so many different translations and versions of the Bible, and maybe which one should I be reading, and what's, what's the big deal with that? So we'll start there. Okay. Uh, first of all, man, you are here the very first day of the year. Way to go. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent way to start out the year. So you're to be commended. And so keep it up. Keep it up. All right. So let's talk about versions. Uh, let's talk about how we got to the, the original text first. It's so important. Uh, the Bible says uh, we, we get, we got the actual Bible in two ways. The first is First uh, Peter, no, see, Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one says, "God spoke through the Holy Spirit." So God spoke to people and told them what to say in the Bible. Like it, it, He literally told them what to say. And so we got we got the Bible in the original language from from God Himself. Think about Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. How in the world did he write about creation? He was not there. So it's because God told him, here's what I did. And Moses was like, that's pretty neat. I think I'll write that down, sure, right? Make, make so, a note, yes. So the second way we got it in 1 John chapter 1 says that we were eyewitnesses. In other words, uh, they saw it. They were like, here's what happened. I was there. It's an eyewitness account for both of those. And so as uh, those, those things came about, as those writings came about, the the Old Testament, or excuse me, the, the whole Bible is what, 66 books, probably around 40 authors of those uh, different books. But here's what you have. You have the Old Testament they wrote in Hebrew. Now, Hebrew is interesting because Hebrew does not read from left to right. It reads, reads from right to left, and so you have to get used to that. And then also, uh, in original Hebrew, it didn't even have any vowels. It's just all our spaces. And so it's very, very, or it was hard for me to do it. So you went to seminary. Did you yeah. do Hebrew? I did. Did you do well in Hebrew? Uh, I, I did well enough. <laughs> I, have a, I have a degree. I'm here. <laughs> I have a degree. Greek was actually harder for me because I did Greek first, and uh, you know, uh, no offense to Monaghan's High School, where I went to high school, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of uh, 
challenging courses and homework. And so I think some of it was learning <laughs> how to actually study and like keep up. And, you know, you get behind. It's, it's you're, tough. You're so I didn't in, do yeah. as well in Greek. And then after doing Greek, I was like, I, I know what I at least need to do for Hebrew. So I was the but, opposite. I did fairly well in Greek. And Hebrew, I barely, barely, barely uh, yeah. got by. Barely, it's so tough, it, was, yeah. it was tough for me. But uh, so you've got the Old Testament in Hebrew, you've got the New Testament in Greek, and a few parts in, in Aramaic. And so anybody speaking those languages? There might be a few, but most of us don't. So why do we have translations? So that we can understand them. So that people take those, those ancient uh, writings and uh, they translate for them. But language changes over time, doesn't it? Best example, the most famous Bible in all the world, 1611 King James Bible. I mean, can you imagine the gift if you are an English speaker and all of a sudden are given the Bible in your language for the first time? So now all of a sudden, instead of having to hear it interpreted through someone else, God can speak to you because it's your language. It's a tremendous, tremendous gift. But the last I checketh, we do not speaketh that way anymore. Maybe if you uh, so, don't. But. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So, so we have a new translation, things that come out that are, that are more modern. And so that's, that's why we have those languages always evolving and changing. So we use, if you're uh, wondering, in River Valley, we use the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, uh, here at River Valley. And it's pretty good translation from Old and New Testament, and it flows pretty well. And, and so that's what we use at River Valley. There's lots of other translations, but here's the big, big point, guys. Uh, you want to find a readable translation. I mean, you know, if you still got your grandma's uh, precious moments, you know, coffee table Bible, it's time, to, it's time to, you know, leave that on the coffee table. Let's get a new Bible. But the most important thing, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. When we read this, this, this is literally God speaking to us. Mm-hmm. This, this is God, this is you having a conversation with God because the Bible says it's living and active. And so God is speaking to you in that. And so what a tremendous blessing that we have where it's translated for us and we understand it in our language and we can open it up at whenever, wherever we want to and hear from the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so tremendous, tremendous gift in that. Amen. One thing I want to extend to everybody here is uh, a couple things is you know, part one of the groups that we have that you'll see out in Group Link next Sunday is Connections Group, and we offer that every semester. And so one of the things we do with that is our, we go through our connection points. We love, we grow, we give, we go. If you're here long enough, you'll, you'll hear that, that rhythm and, and what those are. And so one of the things we do one of the weeks is, is talk through tools of how to, you know, engage your Bible and read it well and, and spend time with the Lord and prayer and Bible reading and just growing in that. And so I'd encourage you, if you've never been through Connections Group, that's a, that's a great one to start with and to, to sign up for next week and gain those tools. Uh, another thing I want to offer to you as well is if you don't have a Bible or maybe you don't have one that's very readable, uh, we want to give that to you as a gift. And so we've got a lot. They look just like this. It's the version that Cody teaches from. And so you can follow along easily on Sunday mornings and whatnot. But that'll be a free gift to you. If, if you want that, come talk to me or Jason or Josh. Um, and we'll be glad after service to give you one of these um, with that. So um, speaking of Bible and, and, and different translations and whatnot, you know, and there's different places in the Bible where we see um, the lineage of Jesus, like Matthew 1. And this is one of the questions that that came in was specifically about there's a few women mentioned in that list and we know contextually and culturally over time a lot of times women and children aren't mentioned though they're present we just kind of see the men listed in different mm-hmm. places but 
specifically in this lineage, we see, you know, this person was the son of this person, the son of this person, and it ends up leading to Jesus. But there's three or four women that are mentioned there. And the question was, what's the significance of these women in the list? Okay. Let's be honest, as Americans, we almost always skip over these lists, don't we? <laughs> I mean, you, you know, like, uh, it, it's, it's pretty common because we're just, we're not fashioned that way where we think of, like, uh, you know, our ancestors in that way. Well, uh, ancient Hebrews did. It was extremely important to them. And one of the reasons that those lists are in there at all is because one of the prophecies of how we will know who the actual Messiah is, is Jesus, is that he will come from the lineage of David. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, David will be a, he will be a direct descendant from King David. And so in both of those lists, you see David mentioned in there. Now, what's interesting about the list, they're different. They are totally different. So is one right and one wrong? No, you have to understand where they're coming from. So the, the Luke list is Mary's lineage. And so her, her family, uh, the Matthew list is David's lineage, but they both are from, uh, they both have David as ancestors. Now, they're, I think there's 14 generations removed, so they're not kissing cousins or anything. So don't worry about that. But, but so they have a distant relative of David. They both come from David. Now, the women in there are significant. The Bible presents the followers of Jesus who are women extremely well extremely well. In fact, uh, they, uh, you see the men mess up a lot, as we do in all generations. Uh, but uh, you see the women in their faithfulness over and over and over again in the text. And the significance of the ones that are in uh, these lineage lines is, is really the, the idea of redemption. Redemption is, is taking something and bringing and making it valuable. So think about uh, the most famous, or one of the most famous, Rahab. You've got a woman who's a prostitute, but who uh, believes in God and who helps the uh, people of God get into the promised land. And so God uses her and redeems her life, takes her out of that sinful life and into a redemption life and mentions her in the Bible. Well, why is that? Well, it's encouragement for us. All right, it's January 1st. You're setting up your goals for the new year. You're thinking through change and all of this. You can look to a person like Rahab and know, I bring a tremendous amount of baggage <laughs> to River Valley. You, you know, like I, I bring all of this sin and all of this past, yet I can look at a person like Rahab and I can say, but God used her. God redeemed her, brought her out and gave her value so that she's now on this list of this patriarchal society. They're all uh, men, very man-centric, but here's this woman and God is saying, I can redeem you. I can bring you out of those things. It's tremendous story. Ruth is in there as well, kinsman, redeemer. Over and over, the, the, the women, it's the idea of redemption. No matter what you bring today, uh, even if you're going to try to get a little bit better through your goals and all of those, God can redeem you and make you infinitely valuable and bring worth to your life in Jesus. Mm. The, talking about Rahab and just even the baggage that every person, I think that's a beautiful thing we see in the Bible is like everybody listed as a hero of faith or just talked about in the Bible as a character. Like they've got baggage. They know? mess and up, and the Bible just, shows it. Yeah, they're just like us. And so um, one of the questions that, that came in was asking about um, divorce, a very difficult sure. uh, thing that many of us have been a part of, or at least in our family uh, lineage, it's very present. And so um, the question was about what the Bible says about divorce. And then even you know further, that was given to me um, from the person that texted this in. It's 
it's, it's asking specifically about, you know, what does the Bible say about divorce, but also, you know, being in an abusive situation, there, there's just a lot of nuances and difficulty sure. that people live through that, um, you know, it's just, how do, I, how do I deal with that biblically? Sure. Well, first of all, you, you, always, you always start with, with the Bible and, and, and then come into your situation. If you try to read from your situation back through the Bible, you're always going to misinterpret Scripture. You start with Scripture and bring it into your situation. So you need to understand that we, we sometimes are sold this bill of goods that, that it used to be like uh, Mayberry in America in the world, and now it's just, you know, now we're just going to hell in a handbasket, and that's just not true. All right, there have been bad, bad times, and the biblical times was way worse than this, way worse than this. I don't know who is telling, but we're telling a whole generation of people. This is off the subject, but here we go. All right, I don't, we're, we're telling a whole generation of, of people that it's really, really bad. And uh, historically, you should look and you should go, no, it's good. I mean, we, you, you know, like, I mean, it is, it's not perfect. But man, America and all that we have, things, God has blessed us tremendously. There's way more divorce in the Bible than there ever is in our day. A man could divorce his wife in the Bible for burning her, his toast in the morning. <laughs> like, like, like uh, so some of you wouldn't have lasted a day. I mean, so let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, so, I mean, I mean, and and when a man divorced a wife, he kept everything. It wasn't common law where it's fifty-fifty. He gets everything, and she's you know destitute. Uh, so, so it's a tremendously hard situation on on the women of the day, and it's happening all the time. Uh, and so, uh, it is a, re- a really bad situation, and, and God is protecting. People. He says, what, what God has joined together. When a man and woman stands up and they are married, it is, it is a court of three. It is man, woman, and Jesus, uh, hopefully. And, and, and that court is strong. And so the Bible says, I, the very first thing, I hate divorce. Now be careful. Please hear me. It didn't say God hates you if you are divorced. But you know if you've been through a divorce or you've seen one, it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hurtful. It's, it's, it, and so God hates for his people to suffer uh, in, in that way. He wants, he wants redemption and wholeness. So two places in the Bible that you can find what is uh, allowed in the Bible in order to protect us in divorce. Versus Matthew 19, lots of other places as well, which is for uh, uh, marital unfaithfulness. Second one is 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7 which is um, if, if you're married to someone and basically they abandon you. Uh, they, they don't, you know, like, like I can't chase after them. They abandon you or, or uh, they, they just leave the situation. So those, those two are, are there, especially when it's an unbeliever and a believer. Don't marry an unbeliever, but if you're in that situation. So again, but those, those, those are not God saying get divorced. Those are God saying I understand uh, that this is going to be painful. So certainly... Uh, abuse anything uh, you know you would have to work through some very specific so I don't want to answer that one specifically but I would say get out of abuse immediately I didn't say get divorced but get out of abuse don't do not put up with that do not you know do, do not live with, within that uh, and if and especially if that is happening uh, don't believe the words that are coming out of the abuser's mouth Because if they're abusing you and they're saying they're going to stop, they're lying. Believe when they stop. 
So until they stop, don't go back because abuse will continue. And I'm saying that because I love you and we'll help you if we, if we can in that. But please, 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 we're not saying in any way because we don't want people to get divorced that we want you to stay and be hurt over and over again. There's some real specifics that we want to help you in with that. And uh, one of the ways is in re-engage. Mm -hmm. You can have a great marriage. Mm -hmm. If you are married, you can have a great marriage. Uh, it's going to take some work because you might start from a very low point. But I'm telling you, it's not, we're not talking a little bit better. We're talking great strides if you will work on your marriage. Mm, that's good. Uh, some questions that came in, changing subjects a bit here, is, came from some of our kids. That it's, I love, we, you know, we encourage that we have children's ministry and we want our kids to be a part of that, but that's a great opportunity while maybe you're serving in a service and then you can come together as a family. We, we love that children are in here. And um, a couple of our kids, uh, one was a six-year-old and a 10-year-old, asked some questions that, that I love here. And so we, we kind of combined that because they were about um, together they were about the end times, which I think is awesome as well, that our six-year-old and 10-year-old, <laughs> tell me about the Antichrist. And so, um, so that's what we're going to do. That was one of the questions was, uh, what do you believe about the end times, specifically about the Antichrist? And, you know, <laughs> one of the kids asked, why does God want to destroy the earth in fire? All right. That's a great well, question. That's a I great don't know question. about you, but as a parent, there's nothing more than right before bed for my six-year-old. Do I enjoy being like, you know, someday there's going to be an Antichrist, and he's probably on the world right now, and God's going to destroy the earth by fire. Sleep well. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas still. <laughs> yeah. That's going to go great. That's going to grow great. So yeah, we do. Uh, I thought about this. Uh, youngest person in here. Anybody? I see a couple of you. Five? Six? You got? Let me see. Seven? Ten? Anybody younger? Right here. Owen, how old are you? Seven? Woo! Amen. I'm glad you're here, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Give him a hand, man. Oh, hey. We got like 0. .5 oh, wow. years look old look over it. here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was born man. yesterday. No, that no, is no. seven days yeah. right there. There you go. Huh? There you go. Hey, Owen, can you go change that diaper real quick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, all right. So, um, first of all, how will we know we're in the end times? Uh, the, the question always starts up with the end times, and the Bible really starts uh, with how we will know we're in the end times. Matthew 24. You need to understand Matthew 24. It speaks specifically of how we will know that we are heading towards the end times. I get really tired of people telling me, you know, we're in the end times. Well, that's true in the sense that, you know, Jesus is coming, and until that, it's the end times. But normally, what they mean by that is either A, the Supreme Court has ruled in something that they don't like, or B, somebody that they thought should be elected wasn't, or somebody that they thought shouldn't be elected was. All right, let's not interpret the Bible through politics. Let's not do that, okay? You will know if you know the Bible when we are in the end times because Jesus tells us very specifically how we'll know. So you don't have to wonder or guess. I mean, you know, when you see wars and pestilence and disease and famine all around you, you'll be like, hmm, it's getting close. Uh, that's just what's going to happen. And I'm not talking about like just Russia and Ukraine type of war. I'm talking about like World War III type of war. I'm talking about famine throughout. You know, there, there's famine in all parts of the world at any given time, uh, but it hasn't, be, it hasn't affected us worldwide. The Bible's really, really specific, so we're going to know when we're, when we're in the end times. He hasn't left that to chance. 
also, you're going to know who the Antichrist is. Um, when the Antichrist comes in, in uh, man, it's probably Revelation 7, 8, somewhere around there. Um, so you have these really specific things that he does. Uh, he's hit in the head and dies, and then the false prophet raises him up. They put, a, they put a, a, some kind of hologram or some, some kind of statue that speaks to you in Jerusalem, and you can ask questions of him, and he will, you know, like interact with you. Uh, we, we couldn't have even understood that until this generation. You're like, I get that, like how that could work these days. And so if you see a statue of a guy in Jerusalem that's talking to people and they're asking him questions, and then somebody kills the actual guy by hitting him in the head, and then he comes to life, that's the Antichrist. All right, that, that's, that's him. You're like, I think that might be him. Well, it is. And so, so again, we're going to know. We're going to know very, very specifically. Uh, he might be on the earth today. If, it, if he is, he's not hideous. He doesn't look like Satan. He's good looking. He, right, he's he's a, it's at least not a, me. So, yeah, we, we were wondering. And then all of a sudden, yeah. Uh, and so... So you, you got to know. And so this is how you will know. He will do very, very specific things uh, in very specific ways. And this will be the way that we are able to um, witness during this time. We'll go to lost people and go, look, 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us this exactly is happening today. That's why it's so hard to interpret right now because it hasn't happened yet. When it happens, you'll be like, it's right there. So we'll know when we're going in and we'll know. Now with the Antichrist, he will make, he will be, basically become a worldwide ruler <clears throat> And uh, you can't buy or sell, and so you have to get the mark of the beast. Uh, another thing that often, you know, people say, you know, like, it's connected to your social security number or, on, you know, all these things that you just deal with every day. You can't be, guys, you can't be tricked into going to hell. Don't worry about that, okay? Don't worry about somebody going, oh, you got a social security number. Oh, you're going to hell. Oh, no. Don't worry about that. That's, that's not just, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a very specific where in order to get this mark or whatever it is, you will have to renounce Christ. You will have to, I am not a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of the Antichrist or whatever it is, and you will have to renounce him. Now, the Bible says that once you get the mark of the beast, that you are hellbound. There, there is no redemption from that, that you will uh, spend eternity in hell because you rejected what Jesus offered, which is salvation. So, so don't worry, don't don't fret about like how it's going to happen. The Bible has really set us up well to know and to prosper even during the midst of, of tough points. Now, why does the, he destroy the earth by fire? So, all right, think of your favorite place that, you, that you've even maybe ever seen on planet earth. Favorite place. What's yours? It's hard to beat the beach for oh. me and my family. I love going seeing the ocean and the sand and just, you know... Any beach Bestest. in particular you, you just love? or Our favorite one that we've been to so far that I've been to is probably around Destin, Florida, because the sand is like flour. It's like white, <laughs> powdery. There's no rocks and trash, you know, and then okay. the, the water is like turquoise, you know, and it's easy yeah. to just be present and see the glory of the Lord and, sure. and to rest, you know. Okay. So. All right, so you're out on the beach in Destin, you're enjoying the day, and Anna dolphin, dead dolphin carcass comes up on shore. Probably has happened, I would guess, right? You know, and you're like, oh, that has ruined my day. <laughs> I mean, that's, and it smells and everybody has to leave, right? Uh, think about wherever your place is. As much as you love it, it's not perfect. I love Colorado. I love hiking in Colorado. I love, I love the, the way it is. 
Uh, but it's not unusual to come around the corner and find some guy that's left all his trash there. You know, and it spoils the moment, right? The idea with all of this is as good as they are, they're not perfect. Have you ever been to Colorado and got attacked by 5 million per square inch of mosquitoes? I have. I mean, it's you're like, why did God create mosquitoes? Uh, there, there's no purpose. Why is there death in the world that washes up on our beautiful vacation? As good as this world is, it's not perfect because sin is here. God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth without sin, disease, sickness, death, mosquitoes, trash. Um, we spent all day yesterday. We have a strict no glitter for Christmas policy at Amen. the Whipple household. That is the way God intended it's it. It's in the Bible. It, I think, oh, it's somewhere. oh, I hate glitter. Is, but but glitter. The Christmas people are in with the the glitter people, and they sneak it in. Yes. Oh, they want some things, and so you look down, and it's just like uh, you know, it's just shining everywhere. So you got to get all that glitter up and everything. Can you imagine having a place and never having to clean it? Can you imagine having a home and never having to repair it? Can you imagine never having anything less than not just good or nice or great, but perfect? God's going to destroy this world, and he's going to bring one in his, in his, not his image, but in his way, which is perfect. And that's why he's going to destroy it. Now, I do think there'll be beaches and mountains. I mean, you know, I do think that it will be wonderful, but it will be without the, the decay that we see today. Yeah, yeah. One of the other questions that came in um, I thought was, was fantastic was ex trying to explain the biblical principle of fasting, you know, and the person that, that sent this in, I thought uh, messaged it in a great way because he or she was talking about, like, I've, I've tried to fast, I've done fast several times, but I've, the way he or she said it was like, I've never really felt uh, closer to God because of fasting. And so what do you sure. say the Bible says about fasting? And maybe so speaking to we, that. we fast, um, a great place if you're thinking about fasting. And, and January is a really natural time for it, uh, I think, because you're starting off the new year, kind of refocus, recenter. So I often do that. Um, I like that during January a lot. Uh, so uh, Isaiah 58 says, it has a very pretty extensive list of how, how not to fast and how to fast. And then Matthew chapter 6 has a, a, a list, and it's it just basically don't fast to be seen by people. So don't, don't go out and, you know, update your status. About to begin a big fast. That, that's, that's unbiblical. So you do, you do a fast like you do any spiritual practice in order to connect with Jesus. Why we call it connections. So you connect, you're going to connect with Jesus. One of the big things that I think that is misinterpreted about fasting, so we think about, I'm not going to eat. And therefore, God's, you know, like God's going to say, man, that guy's really given up something for me. I'm going to bless him. We do not commend ourselves to Jesus by our sacrifices. We don't do that. You don't, you know, you don't say, well, I'm giving something up. And God's going, well, then you get something in return. We don't do that to God. He doesn't need our sacrifices. What you're doing, the big idea within fasting is I'm spending time with the Lord. Instead of food, and, and, and when I want food, I'm still pressing into, I would rather connect with Jesus than I would eat, which is very natural. I mean, so you're using your lunch hour and uh, your, your, you know, in your dinner hour, and you're trying to connect with Jesus through prayer and Bible study and, and meditation on his word. And so you're using that time 
uh, with, with Jesus. And because of that, uh, the Bible says, if you'll seek me, you will find me. And so uh, if you fast in any way, and it, it's biblical, you know, obviously, uh, then, then you can be assured that Jesus says, you're going to find me. So the, the question that you said in the way this person phrased it was, I don't feel closer to God. Trust that when he says that when you seek him, you'll find him and quit relying on feelings, those feelings are going to come on the, on the back end. And, and you will connect with God. Just, just do it biblically. Do you think fasting is primarily about food or are there other ways? I know that a couple of times I've fasted that were probably the richest time with the Lord for me was like, I love coffee, y'all. Okay. And so I, I did a season where I was like, I'm going to not do coffee for a bit, which is a big deal if you know me. Um, and then another one was from social media and, and media yeah. in general is like so looking at my phone and how much, you know, that weekly, uh, guilt report that it gives you like you <laughs> spent this much time on your phone this week like, oh four hours really per day yeah, yeah no. um but looking at that time that i spent like you said absolutely yeah so yeah i i uh, um i've done i've done coffee before um you know most of the times i'd rather die <laughs> this is probably a good reason to fast this. i'm gonna give up breathing yeah, yeah you know uh, so, yeah it is hard but anything especially i think you like you mentioned you know social media mm. because uh social media screen time you know netflix those type of things if you think about how much time you spend and your your phone is, is showing you to say i'm not going to give that time to these endeavors even I'm, I'm going to instead seek after the Lord. Absolutely. Excellent way. And to give up anything that is, you know, like coffee, fantastic. As long as you're not just, well, I gave it up. So God, no, I gave it up. And, and uh, you know, Isaiah 58, that, you know, if you're used to going through the coffee line, that five bucks I used to spend, you know, the Bible says, you know, I'm, I'm going to use it to feed the poor. Something like that is a really, really helpful way. As long as you are... Uh, understanding I can't do anything to commend myself to God besides the blood of Jesus Christ but I can do activities where I seek after him where I, I'm I, I know he'll 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 connect with me yeah we'll kind of wrap with this for the sake of uh, time but one of the questions um, again was just really beautiful was about salvation and uh, asking it was actually a couple different people and I'll combine it into one but asking about can you lose your salvation and then also what the Bible specifically talks about lukewarm Christianity and the question came in there about you know how do I know that I'm doing enough to not be lukewarm that I'm, I'm can be hot you know as the Bible sure. says instead of cold and so uh, how would you speak to that sure uh, before we worry about losing our salvation let's make sure that we have our salvation uh, so so let's let's make sure that we're saved first the Bible says Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. So no one can brag. So God gives us salvation as grace. We don't earn it. We don't do the 10 steps and then, you know, and then uh, God gives grace to us in salvation. When we understand that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that he was buried, he was resurrected, when we allow Jesus we put him in the rightful place as the Lord of our life. If we understand his resurrection, that's given to us. That's grace. And, and, and you can have that today if you don't have that. Now, if we gain our salvation by grace, we do not lose it by works. It's not like God says, here's a precious gift. You better hang on to it. 
No, he says, here's a precious gift. He says in John chapter 10 that you're like a gift that he puts in the palm, or that God the Father gives Jesus, and Jesus puts it in the palm of his hand, closes his hand. He says, no one can take this from me. You are, are assured when God gives that gift to you that not only does he give it to you through his work, not yours, he holds it through his work, not yours. So, but then we follow up with, well, the, the, the lukewarm question in both, in both parts any relationship you have goes through, goes through seasons. Man, you might, you might have been married for a long time, and there's seasons where you're super close, and seasons where you, you've drifted a little bit, you're distant, something's coming the way, or children, any, any relationship that you have. But even when it is the most distant, that relationship uh, is not based on, on the closeness. You are married to me. You are my child always even when I or you do something that hurts and there's friction in that relationship and so so we we go through that as well with our relationship with Jesus it's always he wants closeness as as he defines closeness uh but it's us that walks away we're we're the we're the offending party always in in that relational not break but hurt and so uh, my concern with this question and the way it's worded is, how do you know that you're doing enough not to be lukewarm? That, that is worded in such a way that if you ask that question, my concern is, is that you are, are performance-basing your life with Jesus. You are thinking that Jesus is looking at you and going, you've just not done enough. You're just, you know, you've sinned too much, you're not done enough. And Jesus the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us completely and totally and unreservedly in our worst moments. And we've got to learn to rest in that grace and that love that he gives us in salvation. We've got to learn to trust that my relationship with God is held in who he is and what he has done. Now, should I serve him faithfully? Sure. Ephesians 10 says we're created to do God good works. But my relationship is not held in my works or if God's pleased or not, he's always completely connected to me through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so be very, very careful in sort of a performance-based view of your Christianity because uh, frankly, when you're doing good, that leads you to pride. And when you're doing bad, that leads you to despondency. And neither one, you want to rest in the fact that God loves me. God has my best intentions for me. He sees me as I currently am fully and loves me just the way I am. But he's going to transform me day by day, moment by moment to the image of Christ. And I will continue to see that. That's good. I, I think I resonate with this question a lot because... You know, I struggled for a lot of my childhood and youth with, um, you know, I got saved early on at age seven. And, uh, you know, I had friends that was like, they got, they were walking away from the Lord, very prodigal, like, you know, and then they had this moment of salvation. And I, I didn't really have that where it was like, I feel different in this moment. It was like I was saved young. And then for a lot of my childhood and youth, it was, I doubted and questioned. It's like, is sure. it, it was very very performance, you know, I didn't know that, and I couldn't put the language to it a lot, but there was just this constant, like, am I saved? I need to, I need to pray again, am I saved? You know, and it would just be this up and down thing, and I think I, I finally had some peace and freedom when I got to a place with the Lord of just being like, that's, that's okay, that's not, it, it, your relationship with Christ, like you said, is a progression, it's growth, it's spiritual Absolutely. growth, I mean, it's like that with everything else in your life of 
physical growth and mental growth and things like that. And so uh, coming to that place with the Lord, but, you know, I, I struggled with that for a long, long, long time and was just weary because of the starting from a place. We, we talked about that with our men here recently is you st- I was starting from a place of doing. It's like I've got to do enough to, to have this thing with the Lord so that I can be somebody, you know, and instead of starting that scripture talks about of, like you just said, of be, you know, you, you are a child of God and you have an inheritance. He says you're a co-heir with Christ. And out of that place, I do as he directs me to do, you know, just like, I'm just obedient to like, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to minister to today? Like what's today? And it's this be, have, do rather than start from a place of performance and do, have, be. And so I thank you for that. That's a good word. You know, before we uh, finish up here, I just want to uh, take a moment to to offer you the opportunity of what Cody just said. You know, before we worry about losing our salvation, let's make sure we have salvation. And for some of us in this room, that may have not been something you've ever um, done with the Lord yet. And so we want to give you opportunity to do that. If so, if you have, you know, it's an opportunity of right now, every day that we're together in this place of corporate worship, and especially in the new year to go, you know, what's how do I go deeper with you, Lord? I want to be more like you. Um, and so what's that one thing? Not this big, like, what's my next 10 steps? It's just like, what is the next thing you have for me, Jesus, that I need to be obedient to with you um, to be more like you? But for those of us that have never maybe even said yes to Jesus yet, I want to give you opportunity to do that. And so I just want to pray with you, pray over you, um, and give you that time, and then we'll dismiss here in a moment. Um, you know, Romans 10 talks about You know, if you confess with your mouth, it says that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with their mouth resulting in salvation. And so it really is that simple. Um, There's not this perfect prayer you have to say or just the right words or at the right cadence and flow or anything. It is just believing and confessing. Um, And so um, let me just offer that with you right now. If that is you, I want to give you an opportunity just where you are, however you feel led to be positioned with the Lord, is just say that to him. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you came and died for my sins. You made the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. And I believe that you were raised from the dead three days later. And you are king, you are Lord, you are Savior. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe that and you confess, you'll be saved. So you can confess that right now to him. I believe you are Lord Jesus. You are the way, the truth, the life, the only way. And I trust you. I give my life to you right now. I pray that you would come into my heart, Jesus, that you would rule my life. No longer my way, my kingdom come, what I want, what I think I need, my timing, only you, Jesus. So that can be your prayer right now. Whatever words you want to say and whatever uh, maybe your primary language. You, you just offer that confession and belief to the Lord, and you're saved. And with that, I'd, I'd love to follow up with you. Any of our pastors would, um, after this service, of what your next step is. Your next step, biblically, is baptism. And so we want to help you take that step. If you prayed that prayer and you are confessing and believing right now with the Lord is we can talk about your next step of baptism, which is a public declaration of that personal relationship that just got established right now. And I want to relieve you of any, um, some of you may have this very dramatic moment. Sometimes God does that where it's like, I feel different. You may be more like me where it's like, 
I confessed, I believe, but I don't feel this like earth-shattering shift, in, you know, feeling, and that's okay. Feelings can be as fleeting as I had a burrito today, okay? And so it's okay to just be with the Lord and to know the work he's doing in your heart and life. And we take this spiritual growth process together in community, and we want to help you with that. What's that next step for you? For, for those of you, I want to pray over you right now. If, if you've been following Jesus, you are a Christian, but you're, you're, what is this season supposed to be? What is this year supposed to be? I want to pray this over you right now. God, I just pray for everybody in this room. I thank you for the ones that just now gave their life to you and, and declare you as Lord and are going to follow you the rest of their days. God, we give you glory and honor for that. We know there are angels rejoicing right now because of this, and it's, it, it's a beautiful thing. For others in the room that may have been following you for a short season or maybe a really long season, God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would speak. And I love this about you, Jesus, is your Holy Spirit knows every one of us, knows us all by name right now, and is talking directly to us. You can talk to every single one of us online, through the air waves to the internet in person right here and you speak to every single one of us individually very personally about who you are who we are in you and what you have for us in this season we don't have to worry about what our you know what step number 35 is going to be we can just say what do you have for me right now and I'll be obedient to that and I'll trust you it may be different than I thought it was going to be it may be harder than I thought it was going to be but I trust you that you're going to carry you're going to sustain you're going to provide and you're going to answer I pray specifically for some of us who have uh, maybe prodigal children or maybe we're in a situation right now where relationships or different things just seem impossible. It's like, I know God can do this. I've seen this in the Bible. I've heard other people share their stories and stuff, but my thing, my relationship, my situation, my job, my stuff feels impossible. It's okay to give that to the Lord and confess that and trust that he's the God of impossible things. I've seen it happen in my life. The song we sang earlier, the evidence is such a beautiful declaration of what we see throughout scripture, but I've experienced in my life and many of you have as well, and you can trust him for, is that the things that seem impossible, keep praying into, stay um, persistent in that prayer with him, fasting and praying and asking him and trusting that he can heal, he can redeem, he can restore all these things we've talked about this morning. It's not just for the Rahabs and the Pauls and these we read in the Bible. It's for you. It's for me. Receive that this morning. It's for you. It's for me. God, I pray that over this church family right now, Father. And if you would, stand with me. And before we dismiss, I'd love to just pray this blessing over you. It's one that I like to do oftentimes. And you don't have to do this. So again, there's nothing magical about this. But I like to put my hands out in front of me just as a posture of receiving this blessing. It's from number six. This is Aaron's blessing that he offers. And it may be familiar to you, but don't let the familiarity be lost on you of what is offered to you and what the prayer for you is today and this new year. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his everlasting peace. It's in his name that we trust and pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. 
you are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.